Hello, everyone. Welcome. Um, I'll just point out um, it, there is closed captioning for this session. Um, and there is a, a QR code over there if you do need uh, closed captioning um, for um, access to this session. Um, sit down. Understand. Um, so this panel is called uh, Dance in the Metaverse, um, Tools for Accessibility. I'm going to quickly introduce the panel and myself, and, and then I think we're going to show a, a quick little film of the project that we brought here this year. Um, so I am uh, Daniel Strutt. I'm a digital media theorist and philosopher based at Goldsmiths University of London, and we're all come over here from the UK. Um, next to me, I have Ash, uh, who is uh, I just <laughs> typical, isn't it? <laughs> um, yeah, Ash uh, was also a graduate of Goldsmiths, where we started working together, and is now a designer and researcher at Queen Mary University of London. He focuses on sound in human-computer interaction and is a musician. Cat. Um, uh, sitting next to Ash, is an artist working predominantly in dance and film and also a PhD researcher at Coventry University um, doing research that's partnered with Kandoku Dance Company, which is a company of disabled and non-disabled dancers. Um, and finally, at the end, uh, my Goldsmiths colleague, Clarice Hilton, is a PhD researcher and creative technologist at Goldsmiths in the computing department. And um, I'm yeah, quickly just have to say that we've been brought here by um, the Future Arts and Council programme, which is funded by British Underground with funds from the Arts Council England and from the British Council. Um, and we've brought a project which is in the XR Expo downstairs. And I'll hand over quickly to Clarice, who led the research and the project. Um, and she's going to introduce the project and show a short film about what we've brought here this year. Hi, everyone. Thank you so much for being here so early. Um, so Figural Bodies has come out of a collaborative research process, which has been part of my PhD, which is looking at how you can center disability in the design of immersive technology. So we all worked together. We were exploring and trying to navigate technology, which we acknowledged was, all, was inaccessible and we knew was going to be inaccessible, but wanting to center the emotional and felt experience of what it's like for technology not to work with your body. And also in that, always having an artistic output and wanting to still find ways of playfulness and joy in that process. And what has come out is Figural Bodies, which is a performance that we are doing here. There's, if you do want to try and come, there's one at 2.30 and 3.30 today. They're our last performances. Um, and now we're just going to show a short video which... Um, yeah, shows what the performance is like, is like a bit. I actually, just before you play it, um, I should give a bit of more context. So you have one dancer here, Cat um, in Austin. They're wearing a mocap suit, and we also have a dancer in the UK who's also in a mocap suit. And they, their motion capture is being streamed, and they meet in the digital world and dance together and find connection there. Okay, so we're going to talk more about the project specifically later and how it responds to a set of um, obstacles, solutions, opportunities. Um, uh, but first, we're going to frame those issues through a little bit of discussion. 
Um, so obviously, you know, the, our starting point here is that there's a lot of hype around immersive tech and the metaverse. It's often proposed as a kind of next frontier for embodied communication, connection, play, performance. Sorry. <laughs> and, um, but there's, there is a feeling uh, that is, we acknowledge that its current design, its a representation of bodies, and its technological modes of interaction remain inaccessible to many users. Um, so I, I, I'm going to go to Kat with this first question. Um, so uh, in using this immersive tech um, in this project and more generally in, in your practice, um, is it your experience that these new horizons are opening up for you or do you find that there are kind of pressing issues that really need to be addressed? Yeah, I think my approach to using the technology and asking questions about its accessibility or inaccessibility is the same as approaching any situation in society. Um, I think if we're going to really challenge ableism, um, there needs to be a lot more disabled-centered conversations, education, um, sharing ethical principles and values in work. Um, and so I, I do encounter that where we are at is not disabled-centered. Um, I have encountered a lot of normativity in using most of the technology that we've played with um, in different ways. So the motion capture suit, for example, you put it on and you go into the metaverse and you are handed a physical form um, that is incredibly normative. It's standing, it's two arms and it's two legs and a torso and a head and a very thin body. Um, and I wish for us all to be holding the conversations that challenge that, that really we share the issue of accessibility because I do find time and time again that it's only disabled people that really are talking about this. Um, and this is very layered, so even being at the festival and, and encountering everything happening on the fourth floor, I come in with my positionality and my subjectivities and my trauma, and so my assumption is none of this is for me. And then when that is evidence-based, when I'm getting that feedback that actually it is going to be incredibly difficult for me to access this beautiful work, like so much of it is really gorgeous, and yet there has not been so much thought or insight into how to include disabled people. Um, and I think that there are different ways that we challenge this. I do think that education is a huge one. How are developers being exposed to issues of accessibility? And how are we holding conversations where what we have been doing is wrong? <laughs> I think that's actually a very important part of this. Um, and then how do we work together to shift that thinking so that 
I can approach things with the trust that I have been thought about in some way. And this can be a creative conversation. Like we're making art, so accessibility can be part of the creative process, um, which I think that we have found and can talk more about. Um, how do we include audio description and how do we um, make sign language part of performance? Sign language is an embodied language, which dance is as well. It's a form of communication. Yeah. I, I think that speaks a lot to, um, I guess, like a, a deficit mindset that comes to these sort of um, topics quite a lot. Of disability is something that needs to be sort of solved or, you know, yeah, fixed in order for brands to have higher engagement or to, you know, to get some untapped market or whichever. Um, instead, it's almost like. Uh, a different set of affordances and disaffordances and things that we can sort of um, play with and be more, you know. But I think that's what's been really, really um, interesting about this project and the process is um, looking at how we can not only center, I guess, um, yeah, disabled people as in, in the project, but in the process. Like, I think, I mean, you've been involved since in this since before me and like right at the beginning at its inception as opposed to like something that we sort of conceived and then brought to you and then you know um yeah yeah i mean claris so this is the the center of your research program um so you obviously frame these societal questions as well as technological questions so maybe you could just speak how about how you understand these obstacles uh yeah so yeah, I totally agree with what you're saying. I think when I've been working in immersive technology for a while, and I think it was so obvious to me that there was so little conversation about disability in the context of immersive technology. It wasn't even yet an afterthought. It was just not thought of at all. And just that if we are trying to create these new worlds um, and create these new experiences for people to have, you're just at the beginning excluding a huge amount of people and making them feel, or making us feel like they're not wel that we're not welcome in that space and in those new worlds that we're creating, that the new frontier of the future is still not for a large part of society. Um, and especially with things like immersive technology where you have so many tools at your disposal like you can be using visuals, the auditory, haptics, there's so many ways for to let people be included in so many different ways of creating the experience that it is just, I think, um, like, yeah, it's kind of unimaginative not to be making disability a core part of the design of these new spaces. I think uh, it's, I think it's important to make sure that when we do that, we're not, um, I guess, like reinscribing techno solutionism and like not putting disability at the center of these spaces in the sense of like, oh, look, we're gonna make a space that makes you, you know, in, in both directions, I guess, in, in the sense that makes disabled people not feel disabled magically, or people that do not experience the world as a disabled person suddenly be able to experience it as that, because that's not, that's not what designing for disability is. It's like, it's, it's not trying to fix anything is it's, it's more trying to explore um, what a world where we don't um, 
actively make things harder for, for people that are different. It's not about getting rid of those differences. Yeah, there is this sense, right, that uh, tech could solve the, the societal problem. Um, and, and I think the general feeling amongst our group is that we need to take a different strategy. I mean, this panel is called Tools for Accessibility, but um, that implies that there is a tool that can provision accessibility. Um, how would you respond to that, um, Ash? Yeah, I mean, I... I I'd say many things, but I'd probably lead with, like, tools are tools, they, they will remain tools, and, and how we use them will be whether or not they're accessible, how we, like, the context that we um, put them in, the, the context that we present them to people in is what sort of makes them um, accessible, I think. I don't think we can, we can magically invent something that, that creates an equal playing field. I think aiming for an equal playing field is kind of a short-sighted um, goal. Uh, is all I would probably say on that, to be honest. Um, yeah, yeah um, a lot of disabled people, um, myself included, are very cautious of any space that describes itself as fully accessible. Like, that is a, a warning sign because it's, I wouldn't say impossible, but it's so hard to create a space that is fully accessible. Things need to have um, a changing state where you can react to changing access needs. Um, like I am a disabled person who has a changing state of impairment based on where I am, where are my pain levels, can I use my prosthetics, am I going to use my wheelchair today? How is my PTSD affecting my ability to be in the world on that day? Um, and so one of the biggest tools I think that we can focus on is a shift in mentality to a, a system of care and really placing care front and center and working as hard as we can to create trauma-informed spaces where we have the skills and the tools to co-regulate in order to have hard conversations about what it is to feel excluded and what it is to work towards feeling included and being included. So it's, I mean, clearly it's not a set of tools, it's not a set of solutions, but maybe more a set of processes and disruptions. Language is language, isn't it? Like, yeah. <laughs> if it's a tool, it's a tool. <laughs> um, yeah, and I, I do think, this, like, as Ash said, this, um, this focus on solutions in this context really needs to be spoken about with a lot of nuance because um, disabled people are so often made to feel shame and to feel broken as if we are the problem. And it is society that is disabling us. If we have access to spaces um, and access when we're in spaces, then we are not disabled. We can be there and we can thrive in any situation if, if access is robust. Yeah, I think, um, yeah, I, I, I definitely resonate with that as um, someone who's like late diagnosed, neurodivergent. If I see one more advert for a 
a productivity app, I think I'm going to go insane. <laughs> that's, not, that's not how that works. That's not the point. It is um, supposed to be a sort of... We're supposed to move into a, a context where those kind of things are understood on an individual level, like you say, with, with care, I think. And I think that, that the motivation for, for moving towards that sort of benefits everyone, because if we approach this sort of, I don't know, this new, this new world that the metaverse is with a mindset of individualized care, disabled and non-disabled people benefit, and, and non-disabled people finally, like, experience some individualized, uh, you know, response, and, and there's, there's other challenges that people face. This is a super intersectional problem. Um, and similarly, disabled people stop feeling othered by having to sort of, uh, I don't know, disclose more information than they want to before they're able to receive the care they need or, you know, these kind of things. Um, I think, like, a really big part of, of being able to do that is moving towards personalization as opposed to universalist design. Um, like, the idea that I can design something that works for everyone is, like, hubris. It's, it's insane. And, um, you know, and, and the idea that I can then speak to a focus group and suddenly that changes and now I can design for everyone is, is also nonsense, you know? So I think, I think creating, creating tools that empower people to, to make stuff for themselves and for the people around them and then giving those people then the tools to do something like we've done, which is work with, you know, two people and really specifically try to speak to their needs and experiences, I think is, is going to be way more, way more powerful and, and stop trying to sell people stuff. Well, that's a good point. That's a good point to turn to Claris. I mean, how it, obviously you have a very um, elaborate, uh, not elaborate, you know, well thought out methodology, research methodology that confronts a, a certain set of processes, disruptions, but also opportunities for, for the future. So maybe you could talk about that for a moment. Yeah, I think, yeah, I suppose the flexibility is such a key part of it and the ongoing learning and ongoing critically looking at what you're doing and whether you are achieving um what yeah a space of care and a space of access i feel like this the whole trip i feel like we're constantly evaluating that and discussing it and i think being able to have really tough questions and recognize when you have done a, a, something ableist or you are um embodying an ableist idea you've got to really be able to criticize yourself and own up to those times and places that you've done that and i feel like that has been an incredibly important part of the whole process um i think yes yeah, centering disability from the beginning that is the, another really important thing to do it's not something that you can bring in at the end or halfway through the process this whole um, collaboration has been about really looking at the inaccessibility of the technology from the beginning how can we navigate that and the whole thing that we've created is from that whole process um, yeah I think th it's hard with the technology because I do think there's a lot sometimes a lot of opportunity for me myself one of the things that I struggle with is a full set having a full sense of my body all the time and I am um, I, I'm always moving in some way to keep that sense of my body. And for me, when I first went into full embodiment in VR, I suddenly had this really full sense of my body without having to move myself. Just the visual of it 
gave me it, which is something I look for a lot at, in and having kind of, not a switch, but a way of entering it was really special for you. But that's a very personal experience. And I think then for other people, it'll be very, very different. Um, and I think that, as Ash was saying, and Kat, like it's about the flexibility. Even you yourself, your feelings in that change. Sometimes I go into VR and I find it sensorily so overwhelming and it makes me feel nauseous and sick. So even it's different person to person, but also personally that one person there experience is going to be fluid and changing. And that's a really important thing to center in the process as well. Um, so maybe we should um, move to talk about the project itself in more specific terms. I mean, you all, as you say, come at it from a, a, your own positionality and um, an own ex experience. So um, how did you, let's talk about the end product uh, and the process of getting there and how these, this emerged from that research process in, in your own respective roles. Shall we start with um, Kat? Remind me of the question. <laughs> no, it's just, uh, you know, how, what was your role, I guess, in developing the work and how, was, uh, how did it, you know, develop through the process for, from your perspective? Mm, so I came into the project as a dance artist um, and there were more of us um, in the initial workshops that we did, um, all disabled, and we played. We played with um, different technologies, the motion capture suits, tilt brush, VR, um, if there are others that I've forgotten, I apologize. Um, and we asked questions of what is coming up for us, um, where do we wish to focus, um, how comfortable does it feel to go to certain areas and other areas, um, which all sounds quite abstract. But I think one of the things that has happened to me during this process is that I recall it in a very visual, sensorial way, which is interesting as a dance artist. It, it, it feels closely aligned to dance, even when I'm not ex like entering it from a movement, a body movement direction. It does feel like a chance to connect body-mind, so the mind is moving. Um, and I was, it's, it's been a very complex process. Um, it's been extremely difficult in moments. Um, it's really, put me into situations that remind me of incredibly challenging times in my life. Um, I can find the motion capture suit um, constraining and I can find it uh, the process of being perceived on the screen and also by technically proficient people, uh, a recalling of medicalization and of being judged um, based on medical standards of human bodies. Um, that's been very powerful for me, actually. And then there is this like gorgeous, expansive possibilities side of it where I have been able to imagine 
forms for myself that allow me to burst out of the constrictions that society makes me think about my body. Like I'm in this process of like, my body is beautiful, my body is worthy, and it's a you know, daily reminder thing for me still. Um, and the technology has really helped me to be in that space of worthiness and creativity. Clarice, maybe you can pick up on how, obviously the image that's on the screen is a, is a screen capture from the performance and you can see that there's certain... That's me. <laughs> that is you. And, that's me um, and Susanna. <laughs> and there's a certain level of abstraction within that, but it's not abstraction for abstraction's sake. Maybe you can speak about how you came up with these forms together. Yeah, so we spent a lot of time thinking about how we'd want to interact in the space, what we'd want to control, that being visually and auditorily. Um, and um, it, yeah, it was very much thinking about leaning into what felt good, what felt joyful, um, what did we want to um, control, what did what, what do we want those forms to look like? What, what parts of our body is going to control them? Um, and it was for, like an iterative process where Neil, who is, if you come and see the show, you'll meet him downstairs. He took the ideas that we had in the sessions and kind of turned them into something that then the next time we met, we would play with and change. And then we also did a similar um, thing with the sound, which I Ash can speak to. Yeah, sure. um, yeah we had a, we had a similar, I guess, um, conversation-led and iterative sort of design sprint with the sound. Um, I, I come from an improvisation background in terms of music, um, and a lot of the stuff that Kat and Susanna were talking about with regards to feelings of being observed and, and proficiency and virtuosity and dance being sort of problematic, I guess, um, in their experience really spoke to um, a lot of issues, I guess, in contemporary music. Um, and so a lot of the sound design stuff we, we, we looked at, we started with very precise mappings that you might have like more in an instrumental fashion of like, my hand goes there, it does this, my, my leg goes this way and it does this sound. You know, it's very important. It was very important to me, and it became immediately apparent that um, you know these these are dancers, and it would be incredibly unfair to make them be dancers and musicians at the same time, and sort of play these virtual instruments. Um, and so we sort of, I don't know, we sort of created these abstract mappings that shift throughout the piece and and, and evolve just as the environments do, just as their avatars do, and it's more of a dialogue between. You know, I'm doing this, and this is the sound in response, and 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 then moving in in response to that again. And I think that was a theme that came up quite a lot, not just with the sound, but with the visuals as well. Is that it stops being a dialogue just between two dancers, and it becomes several dialogues. You know, da dialogues between the dancers, between the dancers and the audience, between a dancer and their representation, and a dancer and another representation. And it becomes this wonderful like interwoven web. So I think we just tried to explore that as much as possible. Yeah, I mean, it's obviously a very potent performance and it's very sensory, you know, textural, very beautiful. Um, one question that I just thought of right now is, you know, what is the response that we're getting to this performance? You know, what kind of feedback have you got? 
um, how our audience is understanding it. Um, maybe you start down at the end with Clarice. Yeah, it's been quite varied. Um, I think with all art, so it's going to be some people's, uh, I'm going to say something really British now, a cup of tea, um, <laughs> but it, and other people it's not. And I think some people I've spoken to afterwards and they, I feel like they really understood what we're trying to do and the things that we're exploring and uh, meaningfully are reacting to the kind of provocation about inaccessibility in immersive technology. Um, as Kat said, a lot of the a lot of the pieces that that are, are downstairs are are inaccessible, and what it means to be showing a piece of work like that in a space like that. And I think I've had quite a lot of interesting conversations with creators where I think they are now thinking about that in their work. So for me, that's a really positive outcome. Um, I haven't had the chance to um, see or chat so much um, with the audiences, um, it's, it's an interesting space to perform in and um, with the transitory nature of the audience and then some choosing to stay longer and also everybody's wearing the headphones so everybody has these green lights um, so they, they feel like they're also like in the performance in some ways and they're sitting very closely so there's yeah, I can really feel feel the presence of the audience, and, and there's a generosity really coming from people watching and staying and filming. Um, I had a really nice conversation with one person that came, and they were saying that they are bored of playing video games and so often being handed this human form, and that they've been feeling that they... Um, they want more from the selections, from the choices. Um, so that, that felt very uh, nourishing to hear somebody also yeah, share that they, they wish for forms, different forms. Yeah. I'm not really sure. Um, <laughs> I've been manning a lot of the tech side um, during, the, during the piece, so I haven't got much feedback. Um, I think one thing I would say is that um, the, aim, the aim of the piece is not to sort of be like, look at how accessible we have made dance through this tech. But I think it's more like um, exploring what, in, how, exploring how accessible tech can be made mm. through dance. I think that's the, the sort of direction. And I think a lot of the fruitful conversations I've overheard have fallen into the latter category. So I think some people are starting to um, think of it from that perspective anyway. But I think, I mean, that's already been mentioned by both of these, so I don't want to take up too much time. Um, yeah, I presaged all my um, discussions with the audience by saying we're not selling anything because <laughs> most people in the room have a product that they're selling and we're here to disrupt. We're here to contribute to the discourse. Um, and, and, and uh, you know, uh, and I think it's acknowledged that that was very important by, by everyone. Okay, so now we're going to segue before uh, going to questions, audience questions, um, to actually a, a short reflective piece that, we've, we, that um, we're doing where Kat will explain in a second. 
But this kind of both is a, is a direct illustration of the issues we've been talking about today and also a provocation um, to lead into questions. So, Clarice, would you like to introduce that? Uh, yes, yeah, so we're going to do a short demonstration of the suits that we've been using we've been using to kind of draw attention to its inaccessibility uh, and whilst we do that we're going to have some audio which is featured in the VR experience that we're doing which is kind of some auto ethnographic audio about the process the research process that we've been on which are words from Kat and some words from Susanna uh, who's not with us but with us in, over the seas yeah, can you play the audio I gave birth to a form in tilt brush that came more closely to self-portraiture than any photo I've ever captured. And it is closer to stars than it is to skin. Closer to a disco floor than to the people dancing on it. Closer to gender affirmation than any amount of shaved hair, skate shoes and caps have ever given me. And it breathed a life and energy into me that I've wanted to experience in every setting I've been in since my body lost the legs that carried it for so many years. I now move through the world knowing that I have this form inside of me, knowing that when people perceive me, they might in ways also see these aspects of who I am, and knowing that even if they miss it, that how I perceive myself is ultimately a wholeness I can offer myself. Each time I tried a new brush stroke, I would delete it, because being dyspraxic is not a fixed set of symptoms that I experience all the time. There isn't a rigid binary for what I am or am not able to do. My experience is constantly shifting in relation to my environment, structures and situations I encounter. My experience is in this way not related to not knowing. The motion capture suits have felt at times like a recalling of trauma. My heart has beat quickly and prominently while trying and failing to hold positions I'm not designed for. The calibration process is a reminder that I don't calibrate along these normative lines of thinking and modelling. 
A broken foot can make my phantom pain spark fire around my body. A collapsing form can rekindle memories of collapsing for real in rehab centres. And the slow and painful process of feeling broken in dance studios, comparing my body to those whose bodies are never seen as being broken in the ways mine is. It's a process that captures medicalization and with it eugenics. It can ask questions of the impact of categorizing humanness and the prolonged effect of maintaining a view of the human body as a singular form, head, torso, two arms, two legs, standing upright and able to perform the tasks society demands of it. As a neurodivergent dance artist, my experience of disability has been in relation to the culture of virtuosity in dance and the process of learning dance technique. Barriers that arise in the understanding, memorizing and reproducing of complex movement sequences and patterns. I have sought out and developed ways of working with dance that focus on attuning to how movement feels from the inside rather than what it looks like from the outside. The rigor of these practices comes from a curiosity about the shifting landscape of my physical perception, working from sensations, inner rhythms, desires and impulses, shifting the hierarchy of senses away from the visual. I often find myself frustrated with my physical form. I'm overly familiar with the question, who am I? I've been asking it of myself in spirals for as long as I can remember. And being perceived, ooh, that's something that I think about too much. When you have a body that is consistently stared at, you can't ever get away from the process of objectification. People walking by and craning their necks round as you pass. People approaching, you see them coming early when you're used to it. To ask such questions as what happened to you, what's wrong with your legs, or to offer what they think is encouragement. You're amazing. I don't know how you do it. And that's before we even get to doctors, the ones you would think would have the skills to not make you feel like a medical specimen. Thank you. At the beginning of the performance, we show the audience the calibration process as well. It's always been an important part of the work, I believe. Yeah. Okay, we're, we're going to open to questions now, um, responses, comments. Um, who would like to ask a question of the panel? Please come to the mic here to ask questions. Thank you. This was wonderful. Um, I guess one question for you, Kat. Um, I actually got so much chills when you um, shared, like, when you started dreaming about, I, I forget exactly what you said, like the boundless um, possibilities within this immersiveness. Um, can you expand, like, when you allow yourself to dream about the possibilities, what a future where you feel completely included and it is non-disabled centered and where you can express yourself however you like. 
through dance or whatever, like where your mind takes you and your imagination takes you in these immersive worlds. than it is concrete action or ideas for me right now. Um, this week has been really challenging because away from the work, I've encountered a number of access issues. Um, and yesterday, um, I was answering some questions for social media and one of them was, what's the most surprising thing? And I said how uh, inaccessible some of the venues have been. And I came away and I was like, it was one of those moments where I was like, I'm not surprised, actually. Like, I'm disappointed but not surprised. Um, and so I think I have been in that space a lot this week, which has made accessing the, the imagination harder um, and it has been a challenge to reconnect with some of what the work is about which is in this area of expansiveness um, and I think that's maybe why I'm in feeling mode as well that when I feel included I feel grounded and I feel secure and I feel safe enough to thrive um, and at the moment, I think a lot of that is, I just wish that it was more than disabled people. So I guess my imagination goes to imagining everybody, all of us, holding this conversation, going away and reading the work of disability justice thinkers, um, beginning to think intersectionally or continuing to think intersectionally so that the fight of disabled people is the fight of us all. Because it is an interesting form of marginalization that speaks directly to humanness. If we, all of us, are lucky enough to live to a certain age, we will all experience what it is to be disabled. And it is not a fixed state it is a gray space of humanness. Um, and I think the knowledge of disabled people is human knowledge and is, is where the imagination is. Like during COVID, the amount of knowledge that was already there among disabled people and in terms of using technology, saying we have been asking for this for so many years and now everybody is forced to work at home and it's available. And then we go back and Zoom's gone from so many contexts and people are forced into this presenteeism again. Um, and so I th it's interesting that when you ask that question, I, I put a pressure on myself to imagine uh, colors and beauty. And actually I'm like, reaffirming my values as I go along with the question. So thank you for 
asking it. Um, yeah, something in that realm. Is there any other questions or responses? Otherwise, we can just listen to this. It's <laughs> a little sound performance. We have another question. Um, my question can be a little bit on the other side of it. Is we all want to live in the life that we have imagined ourselves to live in. And in Metaverse, there's a, a whole world of like possibility. But then how do you come back from that imagination world, imagined world, back to reality? How do you, how do you transition back and still give yourself that kind of confidence that you, you can get in the, in the metaverse world? My, my daughter is a dancer. She's a ballet dancer. And I, we have very often talked about how if one day she cannot dance. And it, I know it, it, very, it, would be, it would be very sad, but this technology sounds just so fascinating and helps so many people. But then, then we do need people to have this good balance of in the imagined world to the reality. Yeah, I think that that's a, is a really interesting thought. I actually think in its current form, you don't really want to spend all of your time in the metaverse, whatever the metaverse exactly is. Um, it, like myself, I, I oft, if I go into VR, I feel really sick quite quickly often. Um, the headsets are all really heavy. Uh, motion capture suits run out of battery. They also are uncomfortable. I think like the, I think the question of, of people not wanting to come back at the moment isn't for me the most important challenge or the most important um, worry to have about those spaces. For me, the most important worry is that we are re re doing the same problems of, that we have in society in this new world and in some ways even more extremely um, rather than imagining something beyond what we have what we have now I think also though that that question does bring up some things for me about what what we're trying to do by designing these metaverse spaces like coming back to reality would be difficult if we continually make these metaverse spaces like almost like reservoirs of, of, of positivity that allow us to keep the real world negative, you know? Like if it becomes an escape that, that enables us to leave the real world rubbish, then no one's gonna wanna come back to the real world. So I think that this work needs to coincide with a bunch of intersectional and disability justice in the real world um, and trying to make it somewhere that we're not going to the metaverse to escape, but to just have a different experience and then come back to another different experience. Yeah, I was actually thinking about this this morning about um, 
the, the sliding in and sliding out of the metaverse and the real, wor real world and um, like aftercare within this process. I am mad. I'm clinically insane. <laughs> and so I, I do have a brain that I have to be very careful with. <laughs> and I can remember when we first used Tilt Brush, I was like, I want to live there forever. Like that has given me so much that, um, yeah, it was very, very enticing to be like, let me back in, let me back in. Um, and I can remember coming out of it and having to go outside and literally like touch the ground and be like, ooh, okay, I'm like replanting here. Um, so I, I do think there's a very important question of this, what's the process of coming out? What's the process of going in? Yeah. Hmm? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. It has also helped me to to see more beauty in the real world. Um, I definitely see that this project, all projects stay with me, but this project has offered me, yeah, a lot of ways to connect with the, the space around us. Um, for me, there is a big difference between this and virtual reality, actually. Like my experience as a, as a dancer in this, because there is the virtual reality aspect, which I haven't done. <laughs> because I am waiting until the performances are over um, so that I can, yeah, keep connected in some way to these lights. I have looked at these lights so much this week. And the purple and the white, you'll see it. <laughs> I think we could do one more question, if there's any burning questions. But obviously, you can approach us outside the hall afterwards if you want to continue a conversation. One more question. I have so many, so I'll ask one more. Um, and also, I meant to say this the first time, thank you so much for your vulnerability on stage, too, and sharing that with us and your art. Um, you had mentioned at one point, um, as part of your questions of like um, uh, uh, centering disability as part of the creative process or accessibility, and I'd love to hear more about your internal conversations, what you've talked about, and how people leaving here, how we can think about it more as part of the creative process. Um, I'd love to just yeah, hear more thoughts on that. Yeah, great question. Uh, lessons learnt or to be taught. <laughs> um, yes, I, I, I'm reticent to be like, this is how you should do it, and I know exactly, because I don't feel like that at all. As, I, as we all said, it's like a constant learning um, yeah, a learning curve. and I think you have to be really open to the process and really open to critically look at how you're behaving and what is happening in the space. And give a lot of time. You need a lot of time to reflect 
uh, that was one of the things that we did from the beginning was that in each workshop every time we met we would start with reflecting in between each activity that we did we would reflect and even then I felt like sometimes I'd come away and be like we didn't have enough time to think about what happened in that part and so I think not try, yeah I, getting rid of the idea of the urgency of things having to happen really quickly and um, making your priority the felt experience of <laughs> uh, the felt experience of what is happening in the room um, and I think yeah co just constantly checking in making sure that you have a model of how to check in how people are able to express themselves where they might not in the moment even realize I think a lot of it is a lot of processing as well so I know that with some of the at some points people have thought they felt a certain way and then they went away and thought about what's happened and then we're like that was actually this response and so yeah just making sure there is uh, that your dialogue and conversation is open and trusting and feels safe I, I would say I feel like that really the, the point on urgency really taps into I think issues in, in funding equity and, um, and these projects you know they require a lot of time, like Clarice was saying, to do um, things that, that don't necessarily feed into deliverables. And I think that that is something that is just sort of something that we, that we could all sort of bear in mind when we, when we structure and we evaluate these projects. Um, is that actually so much of the work goes into making the work itself possible. And then really sort of in the, in the not the in-between times, but, you know, in the the rest of the time is, is, is sort of enacting and iterating these, these processes. But um, yeah, I think it's just really important to leave this space for people because making a high-pressured environment is not going to make people feel safe to explore. It's not going to make people you know, feel like they can do their best work or, or feel like they even can be vulnerable with, with you. Um, yeah. yeah, I think that's a great, pro a great point to end on. Uh, in this context, at this conference, that with the speed of innovation and the urgency and all of these visions of the future, we need to stop, <laughs> create space, um, and, ha and have...